So Memorial Day is, of course, a military holiday, first and foremost, originally designated annually to decorate the graves of fallen soldiers of the American Civil War. And there's quite a bit of dispute to this day about which southern city actually started this tradition. It's the kind of thing people love to argue about. And for its first century, it was always celebrated on May 30th for reasons that also remain in contention to this day. Although some claim it was specifically based in nature as this was when the most flowers were in bloom. And for the hundred or so post-bellum years that follow, Memorial Day accrues all kinds of falderall, pomp and circumstance, parades, speeches, concerts, combat reenactments, what today we would call cosplay. But in the mid-1970s, there is a congressional push to create more national three-day weekends throughout the calendar year for a number of commercial reasons. And what was once a sacred and somber holiday and a deeply patriotic occasion kind of became the official kickoff for American summer, wet, hot, or otherwise. Barbecues and getting shit-faced at block parties and the openings of municipal swimming pools and the openings of really expensive, shitty Tom Cruise sequels. And if your family goes to the cemetery at all on Memorial Day, you just kind of put flowers down on the graves of whoever happens to be dead that year, whether or not they were ever in the military. At least that's what we did in my family. Memorial Day is now like this really basic, low-dose, Miracle Whip-flavored Day of the Dead. Anyway, for that occasion this year, here is a generic, one-size-fits-all joke for and about the dead and those who take care of them. So, The Undertaker comes home from work and he says to his wife, Babe, you will not believe the guy I embalmed today. We literally measured this dude, and believe it or not, he has a nine-inch long, two-inch wide, and his wife says, oh, Elwood is dead? So, happy Memorial Day, everybody, who's still alive. Here to kick off this week's show is one of our favorite bands, Avantist. Another day I know you know Easier if 
That was Avantist, rocking the green mill from a show earlier this year. And this is the Machete Audio Magazine, May 23rd, 2020. I'm Christopher Pyatt. And this week, we have a terrific slate of comedy and music that is all basically about shit happening right now, even though some of these performances are from our archives. And this is more or less a completely COVID-free episode. Our tests came back negative, so you can look forward to that. And first on this week's docket is a crazy story out of Texas, where everything's bigger. And few things were bigger or crazier this week than the pronouncement of Mayor Eric Hogue of the Dallas suburb of Wiley. Mayor Hogue pronounced that women should not be allowed to lead public prayers at city council meetings. This was leaked to multiple TV stations and caused quite the uproar. So to prove him wrong, we're going to share with you a public prayer that was led at the Green Mill last August when Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg was undergoing treatment for pancreatic cancer. The voice you're about to hear belongs to our spiritual sister and prayer warrior, Julia Weiss.
Good afternoon, godless leftists. And religious for the social aspect, neoliberals. I'm Julia Weiss, a regular here at Paper Machete and an aspiring spiritual leader whom a tarot reader in Bar Harbor, Maine once said will rise to prominence in the wake of World War III. So I am legit. Um, and I am here today to lead you in a prayer on behalf of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. As you New Yorker tote bag carriers already know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg has once again been threatened by noted alt-right terrorist pancreatic cancer. <laughs> RBG has become a symbol of hope, a token of the resistance against Trump's fascism. P.S. If you support Trump, you're probably only here because the concierge at your best Western told you Al Capone killed someone in this bar. Um, you will not have fun at this show. <laughs> I feel strongly that if Ruth Bader Ginsburg dies, hope and justice will die with her, and the fight for her seat will end us once and for all. She's in the hands of the country's best doctors, which are probably almost as good as the best doctors in Sweden. Um, but doctors are human, and in times like these, we need something bigger than us. We need God. Now, for me, God is nature, and that has been the case ever since I got high in the redwood forest and my diarrhea stopped. <laughs> I was like, holy shit, no pun intended. Like, the earth is God, and the trees are her prophets, and their power stopped my diarrhea. But we cannot exactly ask the trees for anything right now, the Amazon. <laughs> Um, so instead, I'd like to appeal to another, perhaps less reliable spiritual entity, the Judeo-Christian God. Um, so please bow your heads and join me in prayer. Dear God, don't kill Ruth Bader Ginsburg. <laughs> we know that we're kind of shitty a lot of the time. We kill each other and lie to each other and we just don't know how to quit single-use plastics, but like, Honestly, that's kind of more of a you problem than an us problem. It's like being mad at your kid who's running around at Chili's, screaming and knocking Asian-inspired boneless wings off tables, instead of being mad at yourself for raising a child who does that. So like, yes, we deserve some discipline, but at the same time, it's not like fully our fault. And can't you just like take away orgasms until we've earned them back? And in the meantime, let Ruth Bader Ginsburg not die so we have a fighting chance at holding the fascists off long enough to topple them? Like, we know we've screwed up, but we really need help to get out of this mess. And we're not asking for much. A nice-sized rainstorm in the Amazon and eternal life for Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. <laughs> like, for real, why are you giving Ruth Bader Ginsburg more than enough pancreatic cancer to end her life and giving Donald Trump just enough dementia to end democracy? <laughs> like, why can't you kill him? <laughs> it's not assassination if it's an act of God. And yes, I know you killed David Koch and that was very nice of you. <laughs> And I'm not trying to sound ungrateful, but letting RBG die would totally undo that gift. <laughs> and again, thank you so much for killing David Koch. Would have been great if you killed Charles too, but we'll take David. <laughs> Each and every person in this room thanks you. 
and we promise we'll be better if you let RBG live. We'll let those children out of cages, which in all fairness to us, we personally did not do that. Um, and a lot of us have shared memes saying it is bad. So like, it's, it's not like we're not doing our part to stop it. <laughs> we'll also start eating seasonally and we'll cut down on our consumption of meat. We'll stop watching Woody Allen movies for real, even in private. <laughs> Just don't let Ruth Bader Ginsburg die. When she dies, our spirit dies with her. For real, God, please don't do this. Can't you feel how scared we are? Why do you have to keep making the world so bad we believe in you instead of in our true creator, Mother Earth? A woman, a strong, powerful woman. Holy shit, you're doing this on purpose. <laughs> this is why you're coming for RBG, isn't it? Because she reminds you of Mother Earth. Wow, okay. You're not gonna help us, are you? You're doing this on purpose because you, the Judeo-Christian God, are a man, and you're intimidated by the awesome female power of nature, so you're using us to destroy your ex-girlfriend, the Earth. <laughs> While you come for RBG, a mortal symbol of female power. Wow, 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 awesome. Okay, Siri, end this prayer. Um, no one say amen. <laughs> we are not talking to him anymore. Um, so actually, you know what? Please rise and join me in a real prayer to our true God. Everyone, if you are able, please rise. Even if you think it's a sin. <laughs> Okay, everybody, please like raise your hand up to the heavens, over toward the trees, or down to the earth, whichever feels empowering for you. And repeat after me. Female earth creator of us all. Female earth creator of us all. Breathe your life into Ruth Bader Ginsburg's pancreas. Grow a tree in her. Grow a tree in Ruth Bader Ginsburg so big that it knocks Brett Kavanaugh into a fire. <laughs> Grow a tree in Ruth Bader Ginsburg so big and so strong that it stands forever but still has her face, brain, and spirit like Grandmother Willow in the movie Pocahontas. Also, we are so sorry about the movie Pocahontas. It's really offensive. <laughs> Female planet, mother of all life. Female planet, mother of all life. Turn Ruth Bader Ginsburg into a sentient tree that lives forever. Let her clean air choke all billionaires, even fake billionaires like Donald Trump. Woman planet whose period is lava. <laughs> Woman planet whose tears are the oceans. Woman planet whose titties are mountains. Grant Ruth Bader Ginsburg eternal life and we will repay you. With the blood of six virgin boys each new moon. <laughs> In your name we pray a woman. Thank you, everybody. You may be seated. Wow.
Julia Weiss is a longtime Machete regular and the head writer at Cards Against Humanity. So the now defunct sitcom community has had a recent resurgence due to a Zoom cast reunion and Netflix streaming. Here with cultural commentary is community enthusiast Devin Middleton. Back in April, a little show called Community was put on Netflix. Community debuted in 2009 and was about a mixed-matched group of community college students who became friends and later family. Despite surviving a cancellation, the firing and rehiring of its creator, and multiple cast members leaving to pursue other projects, Community ran for a total of six seasons. No thanks to y'all. That's right. The show has gained a lot more popularity recently with its inclusion on Netflix and rose to its top 10 most viewed programming, but if you ask me, it's too little too late. We don't need your support now when it's convenient. We need it back when it mattered. When it was on NBC begging for white people in their 30s to give it attention like a dog amongst biological children. Y'all left community in the cold. It got canceled and had to move to the streaming service Yahoo Screen. You know, the extremely popular streaming service that you can name multiple shows from. Popular shows that we all watched, such as Losing It with John Stamos, the show where John Stamos interviews celebrities about how they lost their virginity and is 100% real despite sounding completely made up. Huh? Oh, my mistake, I forgot. Yahoo Screen sucked, and we all suck a little bit more for knowing about it. You want to support the show now? Fine, but I'll never forgive you for not knowing about a TV show I liked in 2009. Y'all are dead to me. You know what movie came out in 2009? Night at the Museum 2. And you probably saw it because even after that horrible Meet the Fockers movie, you still needed your fix of Ben fucking Stiller. Meanwhile, we had Chevy Chase being racist to Donald Glover who played a character named Troy who was both the heart of the show and the village idiot. They fired the creator of the show after season three, and Don Glover put the entire fourth season on his back. Y'all remember slavery? Exactly. It ties in. Y'all goofy asses thought y'all loved black people when you voted for Obama, but didn't watch a show that featured not one, not 1.5, but two whole black people. That's right. NAAC, please don't make me whoop your ass. And guess what? Let's just say you're a little tired of black people. You've been watching too much basketball. You're tired of seeing us. Well, good news. Community had two Asians. Let's just do a little test. How many Asian people are in your house right now? The bulk of listeners will respond less than two. Community had everything and more. Women, people of color, queer folks, older actors, all of which were unique characters with a signature comedic voice that made them a perfect piece of the puzzle. Community valued diversity in 2009. Comparatively, last year I got bumped from a show so a producer could book a group of white rappers. That's right, rappers that are Caucasian. Community was an amazing show that struggled to find its viewership. On NBC, it was in a lineup that included the last few bad seasons of The Office and the first couple bad seasons of Parks and Rec, both of which I know y'all skip when you rewatch them now. And don't even try to lie to me because I've borrowed multiple Netflix passwords and I know what the typical American is watching. 
Y'all stop watching The Office after season seven, and y'all start watching Parks and Rec on season three. Some of you weirdos start Parks and Rec on season two, and my message to y'all is that life is a gift. That's why they call it the present. Please stop hating yourself and start Parks and Rec at a sensible season like our tall black Jesus would want. Community deserves better than the viewership it got. Y'all can be fans now, and you'll have a great time watching it, but you'll never know what it was like to say goodbye to this amazing cast of characters and writers in 2015. It launched the career of Alison Brie, my fifth favorite white woman after the cast of Golden Girls. And it helped propel Don Glover into a household name. Dan Harmon, the creator, went on to make Rick and Morty. Cast member Dr. Ken Jong is now a host on The Masked Singer, and Chevy Chase might be dead by the time I finish this sentence. I hope you cherish this, America. I really do. And if you don't, I will come to your house with two Asian people, and we will beat your ass. Thank you. Devin Middleton is an Indiana-reared, Chicago-residing comic writer and community organizer. So normally, wedding season would be kicking into high gear right about now, but of course it's canceled as a potential Oscar host with a Twitter past, which is a huge bummer for soon-to-be newlyweds. But if we have to make lemonade, it is suddenly a lovely time for people who secretly hate nuptial culture. And this next song is by, for, and about those people. Here's Evan and Mary Jane. Hello! Hello, everyone! Hi, Hi guys. We're Evan and Mary Jane. I'm Evan. And I'm Brittany. And we're Evan and Mary Jane. Mm -hmm. Okay, 10 seconds. The sun's coming out, the flowers are blooming. It's wedding season. It's warmer outside, it doesn't rain as much. Cause it's wedding season. Save the day. Six months from now, save the say our vows it's wedding season you look through your mail bills bills and a coupon then you see an invite and you know who it's from you open it up and out flies a dove will you come to our wedding and share in my love say, say to match and it's 600 bucks and it's Vera Wang she does tuxes for men and it's just a rental you won't wear it again save, save the, the day, day. 
wedding is in Ohio. Say, say the day. Who wants to go to Toledo? Nobody. Can I bring my own flask if the wedding is dry? Can my gift be one fork? Say, say the day. Why do you need a juicer? Say the day. I've never seen you eat fruit. I'm not coming if it's on location. I'm not coming if I have to shave. I'm not coming if I can't get too drunk. And I'm not coming if the groom's name is Dave. Dave. I'm not coming if Dave will be there. I'm not coming because Dave is weird. I'm not coming if you're marrying that weird guy whose name is Dave and who taught me math. I'm not coming if you're my mother. I'm not coming cause it's your third time. I'm not coming and you can't make me. And Dave, I'm never gonna call you dad. Save the day. It's wedding season. Save the day. No, we won't sing at your wedding for free. Thank you. We're having a marriage end. Evan and Mary Jane are Evan Mills and Brittany Flynn. You can find more hilarious tunes on their YouTube channel. So, as I mentioned at the top, it's Memorial Day weekend. It's the time of year when lots of Americans half-heartedly thank the troops for their service. Turns out, not all the troops appreciate that. This next one certainly does not. Here's the hilarious Jamal Gushan. Good evening, whites. I don't have any friends. I'm very lonely. Someone took me recently to a barbecue to set me up with friends. It was at this barbecue where I was verbally assaulted and bullied by a hipster. Has this happened to anybody? Yes. He kept on pointing his finger in my face and telling me I worked for the man and calling me a murderer. And he wasn't wrong <laughs> because I was in the military. But I was like, my nigga, you work for Apple. <laughs> so like, samesies. <laughs> And he just kept on disrespecting me and pointing his finger in my face. So I looked right at him, and I murdered that motherfucker. <laughs> Why the fuck would you provoke a murder at a barbecue? I don't understand. I'm there to eat ribs and listen to Future. 
this has nothing to do with you. And don't get me wrong, like, I don't like people thanking me for my service either. Thank you, like, that's pretty fucking presumptuous of you. You thought I was about to die for you? <laughs> about to die for these child support payments in Jordans. This had nothing <laughs> to do with you. I was in the Air Force. Exactly the response I'd expect from liberal white people. Do not give a fuck about our nation's military. The only person who cares less about our service than liberal white people is my 10-year-old asshole daughter, Aaliyah. She does not give a fuck. The other day I was gonna walk her dog. It has become my dog. That's what happens when you get your 10-year-old asshole daughter a dog. It's an all-white Malte poo named Bruce. White people in the neighborhood are no longer afraid of me. It makes me very sad because fear is useful. I'm going to walk my nigga Bruce. And I say, you know what, Aaliyah? You don't love me. You don't care about me. I went to war for you. And she said, I don't care. And she put on her headphones. My daughter is fully black, but she has a white girl accent. She's growing up in an all-white suburb named Algonquin. You whites are very petty. Naming an all-white suburb, Algonquin. I've known her and her mother haven't cared about my service for a while, though. When I was deployed to Afghanistan, they sent me one package, one package alone. And kind of inside of this package contained three things. The first thing was a scribbled up picture. That shit was not art, my nigga. I know art, I'm an artist. That shit was not art. <laughs> Very uninspiring. <laughs> the second thing was a single gift card <laughs> to Applebee's. <laughs> for $8, my nigga. I'm like, where's my child support going to? This is not even an appetizer. The last thing was a single bottle of Michael Jordan cologne. I was like, she wants the terrorist to find me. <laughs> Unless this shit is gonna make me shoot like MJ, I don't think I need it. That wasn't the worst part about the deployment. One of the worst part is men and women aren't allowed to be in the same quarters, so we have to fuck outside like animals. <laughs> Ma'am, have you ever ate pussy in a sandstorm? You, you, you know what PTSD stands for? Pussy to Sandy disorder. It's what all the vets are suffering from. I ate the pussy anyway, though. I'm a patriot, okay? I'm a fucking grown-ass man from the back. All right. Another thing I hated is, uh, the military working dogs got their own air-conditioned quarters because they might overheat. Nigga, I am overheating. They say America doesn't negotiate with terrorists. I don't believe that to be true. I feel like the right terrorist just hasn't come along yet. If Michael Vick stole all white people's dogs while you guys were at yoga, black people would have equal rights right now. 
when I came back from this deployment, my uh, some high school buddies, they threw me a party in the club, because that's what they think young black guys like. <laughs> Parties in the club. My father is an OG fuckboy narcissist. That's where I get it from. <laughs> he showed up. My dad is on his fourth wife, second white wife, fourth wife overall. <laughs> me and Holly are the same age. That doesn't bother me. What bothers me, she asked like she did it right in my yearbook. Like, bitch, it's right here. <laughs> you wrote, keep in touch. <laughs> when I come in the club, the DJ, they shout me out. They say, Sergeant Gushon, welcome home from six months in Afghanistan. And my father, not to be outdone, he pulls me aside and he says, son, I'm so proud of you. I'm so sorry I didn't write you. Two more bottles of goose for my son. Let me borrow $300. <laughs> what is the point of having a white wife if you still have to borrow money? <laughs> I don't understand. So I looked right at him, and I murdered that motherfucker. <laughs> All right, that's my time. God bless America. Thank you. Jamal Gushan is a veteran of Afghanistan and a denizen of Algonquin. So this week, a new bombshell detonated in the abortion debate. It was revealed that just before her death in 2017, Norma McCorvey, the Jane Roe of Roe vs. Wade, who claimed to experience a late-life evangelical conversion and renounced the pro-choice movement, was secretly on the payroll of the Christian right. This is part of a forthcoming Hulu documentary, which, wow. So I'm gonna hand the talking stick now over to someone with a uterus. Here's Rena Calm. It's always a special occasion to be able to contribute to the paper machete. And as always, I've been given the most lighthearted of topics. That's right, it's the abortion portion of the show. It's important in these trying times to remember that the paper machete is here for us, mixing the old normal into the new normal enough to let us be sure they're both beyond repair. In all seriousness, and lack thereof, I'm thrilled, impassioned, and honored to be a voice that is advocating today for women's rights. And while I resent the necessity to do so, the opportunity is a gift. My diva cup runneth over. Get a mop. In a new FX documentary coming out this week, we'll hear the final deathbed words of Jane Roe herself from the landmark 1973 Roe v. Wade Supreme Court ruling that legalized abortion. Okay, now before we proceed, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge that some of the listeners are already upset by the word abortion itself. Nobody actually likes abortion. Maybe if people stopped trying to attack and regress women's rights to safe healthcare, we could all stop talking about it so much. I respect the discomfort you may be experiencing, so before I get started, I just want to make sure that you know you do have the option to skip forward to the next segment. And if you want to see this through, but maybe aren't in an ideal situation, I'm sure you could have someone else listen for you. There are resources available if you ask. So here we are. Let's examine. 
Apparently, Norma McCorvey, the real Jane Roe, is making headlines now for revealing she was really pro-choice the whole time. If you're doing a cognitive double-take, that's probably because you missed the headlines in the 90s about the time she switched her stance to become a soldier of the anti-choice movement, or pro-life, as they prefer to be known. I'll call them pro-life when they stop relabeling pro-choice as pro-abortion. Again, nobody in the world is hoping to ever have to need an abortion. Okay, another quick break. I've said a lot of hot-button buzzwords. Buzzwords are powerful. Let's call the anti-choice movement what they really are. Evangelical Christians. The scary masses. They believe in the torment of hellfire and pray for end times in hopes of a rapture. One big thing that sets them apart from other Christians is the need to evangelize others and convert them. You might not realize how many evangelical Christians are in this country. It's about 30 to 35% of the population, or about the same amount as the percentage of Americans who still approve of Donald Trump. At least that makes sense, more than anything. A correlation that anyone voting for him is truly rooting for the end of the world. So in the 90s, an extreme right-wing evangelical group, the kind you see outside of Planned Parenthood, or as I call it, the doctor, they somehow convinced Norma McCorvey to join them. Anti-choicers love the narrative of abortion regrets. If I'd had an abortion, I would imagine that nothing could activate a stronger sense of regret than knowing a choice I made brought on the type of harassment they engage in. So they bothered Norma. And it was a big win for them to flaunt her like a badge they'd earned. But she didn't change her mind out of regret. She'd actually never even had an abortion herself. She converted because, in a completely unsurprising twist, it turns out they paid her. God is rich. I've never understood converting people. Maybe it's because I'm Jewish. Some Jews don't even acknowledge Jewish converts, and we certainly don't invite anyone to join. We've got other problems, like the belief that we are the chosen people. Now we know I'm pro-choice, but it's arrogant to assume to know God's will no matter who you are. Christians believe that a woman's choice is a crime against God's will, but then they have the disrespectful nerve to claim to have the power to be able to be born again? These people freaking love birth. Maybe we should call them pro-birth instead, because they sure don't care about the quality of anyone's life after that. All right, things are getting really uncomfortable now. Let's remember to breathe. We're kind of in the thick of it. It's getting heavy. And at this stage, you're probably going to have to just listen to the rest of it so I can deliver my main point. This news is stupid. The truth about Jane Roe? I get the timing of bringing this to the front of everyone's mind now, with a supposed election around the corner, and while I wish the documentary as much success as Tiger King, I can't help feeling like this bombshell deathbed confession might have done a lot more good to spread the news of when it happened, a few years ago when Norma died at the age of 69, nice, in February of 2017. That was right before we inaugurated the Grim Creeper. That was right before we saw a surge of these anti-choice groups do their work at converting new members. Scores of YouTube debates edited to make the other side look stupid. Can't help noticing most of the anti-choice activists are aggressively toned men bullying their points through to mostly women who didn't know they'd be interviewed that day. 
It's frustrating to imagine how many people have been persuaded to join their side in the last few years just by being told about how Jane Roe herself changed her mind. It's people with power in a dumb fake war that doesn't even personally affect them, and nobody is at greater risk of damage than the powerless. So that's the news. Evangelicals paid her to lie. And then some showbiz people kept this info from the public for three years so their movie would be more successful. Who wins? This isn't a great look for the whole idea of believing women, but I'm glad she's saying the words that I like to hear now. Because in America, getting what you want is more important than the truth. And it has to be. Because what some people want, and are working towards relentlessly, is to overturn a nearly 50-year ruling to have more control over women's bodies, claiming it's to prevent the murder of children. But these same people vote against things that could actually save all of our lives, like better health care, government assistance programs, saving the planet we all live on, and gun control. Or, God forbid, they try educating their children about safe sex to avoid unwanted pregnancy in the first place. Every time I've written for the paper machete, it's something I eagerly consent to at first, but then question constantly, especially in the beginning. You must understand, the functional idea of this or any piece is never formed at conception. I chose to speak about this, but there's a long gestation phase in which I actually figure out what to say. The first few hours of research usually have me imagining as many ways to opt out as there are ways to see it through. Those options dwindle as time passes and I always embrace the challenge and celebrate the chance to have left another piece of myself in this world to carry on my family's name. If nothing else, this testimony will serve as an advertisement for the streaming service Hulu, which is the closest I've gotten to working with them so far. Rena Calm has performed comedy in 45 of 50 states. Here's hoping she finishes her goal. And finally, last week, the American comedy community lost a legit giant, the comic actor and improviser Fred Willard. Proud C-list Hollywood royalty, peerless and exquisite journeyman jackass, best known for Christopher Guest's ensemble films, but also countless other credits. One of the Machete's own knew Fred quite well professionally, but more importantly, knew him personally. We asked him to compose a eulogy that explained how he knew Mr. Willard and what made him as fabulous off-camera as on. Here's Bill Larkin. I took part in a virtual gathering on Zoom last night. There were 25 of us on the screen, which I guess is perfect, a five by five grid of our beautiful yet aging faces. We talked for at least three hours, and it was a reunion of fellow cast members of a sketch comedy troupe from North Hollywood, California, called The Mohos. A troupe that started in the 90s and has kept performing up to this year. And The Mohos were formed by and featured Fred Willard and his wife, Mary. During the Zoom call, we watched old show videos, told stories, and reminisced about Fred, who passed away a week ago at the age of 86. 
The last time I was in a Moho show was when I lived there in California 20 years ago. But seeing everyone, it felt like I'd never left. We didn't spend our time talking about what a comedic genius Fred was. We're all very aware of that. What everyone did comment on was how kind and supportive the man was. I met Fred in 1997. I was the keyboard player in LA for a different comedy troupe named Houseful of Honkies. The members of the group included Wayne Brady, Jonathan Mangum, and other performers you would instantly recognize. And we were given a primo time slot, Fridays at 8 p.m. at the Acme Comedy Theater to perform improv. After our shows, the theater would run an improv jam, which was hosted by Fred Willard. I recognized Fred from the projects that people my age would recognize him from, including, of course, Fernwood Tonight. And if you have no idea what Fernwood Tonight is, you have some homework to do on YouTube. So the members of our troupe were invited to stay on stage and perform with Fred during these late shows. Over the years, I've seen situations like this where an already established comedy star is sharing a stage with up-and-coming performers. And there would be times that the big-name star would throw their weight around a bit, reminding the audience and the people on stage just who they were. The star might even steamroll through a scene just because they can. That was not Fred Willard. Fred was all about the ensemble. And what he loved more than improv was what he'd mastered through his time with the Ace Trucking Company, sketch comedy. I had performed my own songs at the Acme one night, and Fred and his wife asked me if I wanted to be part of the Mohos. And it became what the paper machete is for me now, my creative playground. Eventually, Mary Willard asked me if I would be interested in playing piano at their annual holiday party at their home. Of course I wanted to, but even if for any reason I didn't want to, Mary was not the type of person you said no to. She was very kind, but you never wanted to get on her bad side, and people please her to the nth degree that I am, I never did. So I arrive at the party. Their house is gorgeous. Not a Hollywood mansion, but very spacious and homey, with every kind of Christmas light and decoration you can imagine. On the wall is a hysterical seven-foot portrait of Fred, posing in a suit with a serious look on his face and a noble dog on each side of him. I get to mingle during the party, and I notice that I'm surrounded by comedy royalty. Harry Shearer, Catherine O'Hara, Kenneth Mars, David L. Lander, Mary Gross, Dan Castellaneta, Alan Thicke, and Joanne Worley from Laugh-In, just to name a few. Then suddenly it's time for a holiday sing-along. I sit at the piano and await further instruction. Mary tells us what Christmas carols we're going to sing, and we sing them. Then during one particular song, we would hear a rapping at the sliding glass door. Fred would say, I wonder who that could be. He opens the door and Joanne Worley enters, saying, Hi everyone, I didn't know you were having a party. Keep in mind, she's been at the party the whole time. Fred then says, Joanne, would you sing us a song? Joanne says, oh, I don't know. And we're all prompted to say, yes, please, Joanne. She says, all right. And she performs the most boisterously funny parody song you've ever heard. And I come to find out that this exchange happens every year at the Willard's holiday party. As does Fred's telling of a skewed version of the history of Christmas, a series of hysterical holiday-themed sketches, an all-Jerry Lewis choir singing Silent Night, and the children at the party taking part in a holiday pageant. Then Mary turns to me and tells me to sing my songs. I'm, of course, nervous, but I perform them, and they go over great. And I realize 
I'm performing my own comedy in front of my comedy idols. And I don't have time to freak out about it, though, because next comes a rousing rendition of the 12 Days of Christmas, where everybody is divided up into 12 groups and must come up with their own intricate choreography. And after two hours of all this, of crying with laughter from it all, Paul Wilson, from the TV show Cheers, plays a beautiful version of Silent Night on the violin. And that's the party. And I've never laughed harder in my life. And the only thing I couldn't believe more about that evening was the fact that they invited me back the next year to do it all over again. And then the next year, and the next. And then when I moved here to Chicago in 2002, the Willards flew me out to Los Angeles to perform at that party every year for the next 15 years. They only took off one year to rest, but after that, the tradition continued. Mary died in 2018. I flew out for the funeral, and we all shared our favorite memories of her. This past December, the Willard's wonderful daughter, Hope, organized one more gathering in Burbank. We sang and performed our sketches with Fred, and without Mary there, it wasn't the same, but we were aware of that. We just wanted to gather together again to celebrate Mary and Fred. Through the years, the support the Willards had for me was unwavering. They introduced me to others in the industry. Fred even invited me to the Comedy Awards and told me to bring the CD I had just recorded so I could personally hand it to Weird Al Yankovic. And whenever Fred was being honored at the Second City here in Chicago, which was often, they would meet up with me. If I was performing in a stage production, they'd be there in the audience. And if they couldn't make it, we would meet up for dinner. They were my friends for over 20 years and had more faith in me than I had in myself. And everyone at the Moho reunion last night had a similar story of how Fred supported their careers, nurtured their creativity, raised them up, and never ever talked down. And in being a Fred Willard fan yourself, and who isn't, you had probably assumed all this. You assumed he was that kind of person off stage and off camera. So I'm just here to confirm what you basically already knew. And P.S. My most treasured possession is a best in show cap that Fred gave me right after the shooting of that film. It's really worn out now, so I keep it up on a shelf where I can always see it. Our friend, Bill Larkin, is the Paper Machete's house musician. And that's that. Thank you for listening to this week's Machete Audio Magazine. I hope we didn't accidentally mention coronavirus or give it to you. The Machete is produced by Leah Munzee and myself, Christopher Pyatt. And this podcast is edited by our sound engineer, Jacob Serio. If you'd like to give the machete a boost during the shutdown by donating, please visit thepapermachete.org slash support. Or you could rate and review us on iTunes. Or if you see us in person, you could just say something nice through a piece of cloth and we'll pass it along to the gang. We're going to leave you with one more from our friends Avantist for real-life rock and roll brothers from the Arias family. Happy Memorial Day to all, especially Mrs. Steinberg. She knows where she is.
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Wait!